0: Hello and welcome to a very special Access Hour here on Forward Radio with me, Justin Mogg. And as you know, we here at Forward Radio endorse an informed electorate, but no particular candidates. And for that reason, we're excited to bring you a Louisville Mayoral Candidate Forum focused on the nonprofit sector, including us, Nonprofit Radio. It was hosted online on March 29th by the Center for Nonprofit Excellence and moderated by Louisville Public Media's Stephen George and Rachel Platt from the Fraser History
1: Museum. Museum. And with no further ado, I hand it off to Stephen George.
2: All right, every candidate gets two minutes for their introduction. And uh, we are going to start with Bill Deereff. Bill.
3: Thank you very much. The best thing I can tell you about the Center for Nonprofit Excellence is it's a coalition of all the great people are volunteering in our community. And that's what we need to continue forward because you're all's love and passion in each division you have is fantastic. And the problem is we don't have enough volunteers in this community, so to have it as a coalition of everybody working together is something that is fantastic. The volunteerism is something that this city needs more and more all the time. And the love and the passion that these people bring is, is fantastic. The the volunteerism is that the, the passion that the nonprofits bring is something that I can tell you that. As my administration will look toward the future, they will endeavor to have the nonprofit as the person that carries the torch, the one we give the funds to. So many times in metro government, metro government tries to do the the item that needs to be done that, met, that the nonprofits are already doing. So let's back up and let the nonprofits do what they do fantastic and take the government out of the way. When we started the digital divide, when we were trying to do the digital divide through the Bingham Fellows, the one thing we learned about doing the solution to the digital divide was for it to go to the nonprofits to solve the problem government should help but they should stay out of the way the next thing we have to do is bring corporations here uh, because the last time we had a corporation a major corporation come to louisville was in 1976. Corporations bring donations. Donations help nonprofits grow. Nonprofits grow. The people in our community have ability to do the items that they need and save the kids, save the homeless, help everybody that needs to be there, whether the the organization is the Area Ministries, USA Cares, the Dream Foundation, or any of the organizations that are out there, the coalition can teach them how to best be to best preserve what we have in our community. So I look forward to working with you all and letting you all perform when you need to perform. So we need to back out and let the nonprofit do what they need to do, fund them when they need funding. And I just, I'll stop there.
4: All right, Bill, thank you very much. Our next candidate, Tim Finley Jr. For your introduction, you have two minutes as well, Tim.
5: Right. Well, thank you all for having me. Looking forward to the conversation tonight. My name is Tim Finley Jr. I am a pastor here in the city. I was born and raised here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I was brought up in the Newburgh area. I've lived pretty much all over the city. Uh, tonight's conversation is one that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I started Life Development Corporation, which is a nonprofit entity in our city, in 2009, and for those 13 or so years that we've been in operation, um, we've been able to do some tremendous things. But I understand the challenges that nonprofits face. Um, I understand them uniquely. I understand them intimately. We've had several accomplishments with our with our nonprofit, and I'm looking forward to really getting the larger public to understand how this works. Um, one of the things that I want to make sure that I'm conveying on tonight that as a person that's in the nonprofit sector, um, that a lot of what's going on in our city, what's went on in our city, um, we've seen. More support go to the big name corporations, the big name nonprofits, and many of the fledgling nonprofits that are doing the on the ground work have been left to fend for themselves. Um, in my administration, I want to make sure that yes, we're seeing volunteers come, uh, but similar to my organization, we have plenty of volunteers. What we don't have is the infrastructure. What we don't have is the city support in so many ways. And I'm looking forward to turning that tie here in Louisville, Kentucky. So thank you all for having me. Looking forward to the discussion.
2: Thanks very much, Tim. Craig Greenberg, you are up next, two minutes. Good evening,
0: everybody. It's great to be with you all this evening. I'm running for mayor of Louisville because while we may have some really big challenges in in Louisville right now, I see big opportunities and incremental improvement is not enough. We need to all work together to implement big solutions to the big challenges we have right now to make Louisville a safer, stronger, and healthier city. And I'm excited to be with you here tonight because I believe that by working with the nonprofit community, we can make it happen. Government doesn't have to always be the solution, doesn't have to always do the work. They're not always the best at doing it, particularly in a city like Louisville, when we have so many great nonprofits across the wide spectrum of social services and the arts and so many different other areas. So I'm excited to collaborate with the nonprofit organizations across our city to unify Louisville, to strengthen Louisville, and to make Louisville safer. I don't think we need any more studies. We all know what the problems are. Your nonprofit organizations that you all are involved with have identified the many serious problems that we have in Louisville and have done that for many years. You also know what the solutions are. So I'm excited to collaborate where city government collaborates with nonprofits as a key part of the solution, as a key part of the solution to make Louisville safer, as a key part of the solution to address our affordable housing crisis to improve our situation with the homeless, to improve education and make universal pre-K a reality, to improve the way that we provide more mental health resources to our entire community and to improve economic development. These are all strategies that nonprofit organizations are doing well. And so I know that together, we can make Louisville a safer city, a more just city, a more vibrant city and a healthier city. I'm excited to have the conversation with you all this evening.
4: All right, Craig, thank you so much. Philip Molestino, you're next with two minutes.
1: Well, thank you again for inviting me to this forum and all the candidates too. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for us to go ahead and, and, and learn more about the organization. Uh, at, at the same time, I love the vision of the organization from look, looking to serve the big uh, nonprofits, like the small ones, and uh, really excited for the for the opportunities that other nonprofits will have in this coming time. I'm running for mayor because as I has said many times before, what I see is a big uh, lack of trust in this moment in our city, lack of trust in institutions, lack of trust with the people with city government. Uh, and that lack of trust, unfortunately, has led us to have a lot of division. So, what I'm looking for is to be able to be a, a person that can bring that trust back into the city so that the people that are looking for solutions uh, and through nonprofits, through the different things that are going on, uh, are not distracted by the divisions that are taking uh, a toll on on someone's position, let's focus getting back to serving the people, the needs through your organization, through the city working with nonprofits. I think there's just a great value to that. And I thank you so much for this evening and the opportunity to be part of what's gonna go on.
2: Thank you, Philip. David Nicholson is our next candidate.
6: I'd like to begin by thanking all the leaders, the staff, board members, and the volunteers who really keep our nonprofits running. Your work is important. It's critical and it's appreciated. I'm not new to nonprofits. I've participated in the nonprofit community on boards, both as a giver, and a razor. I'm a long-term member with Cosair Charities Board, and I've served on boards of both the Center for Women and Families and the Kentucky Trust for Life. In my role with Cosair, I know what it's like to review hundreds of applications for funding requests to see what is going on each and every day in our community. It's a difficult job. To say the least and i've traveled in nearly all 120 kentucky counties selling the mission of the kentucky trust for life and the goal of creating sustainable financial models for that organization and others another very difficult job so i understand the struggles i understand the importance of nonprofits both as a delivery mechanism and for the essential services and one of the most important aspects that has not been mentioned as a driver of economic impact for this community this commonwealth so as your mayor I will bring a hands-on experience of nonprofit work. Thank you.
4: All right. Thank you so much, David. We appreciate it. Our final mayoral candidate of the evening with her introduction will
7: be Shamika parrish Wright. Shamika, two minutes. Good evening. Um, thank you, Center for Nonprofit Excellence. I am excited. This is my favorite mayoral forum because I've actually lived and walked and helped supported many nonprofit organizations i have been a part of the nonprofit sector for over 25 years and over 20 years in Louisville, a part of every organization that I can be a part of, serving as a board, serving as a human relations commissioner, serving as somebody who people call on to get things done. And like many of you, I say yes because it's hard to say no when it's so much need. As I saw your opening video and all of the organizations scroll, I was in, I was excited and I knew most of those organizations, not just as someone who's been a leader, but as someone who is the most directly impacted candidate you have for mayor. I come from a community organizer background, and you've never had that for mayor. But community organizers, activists, also, make good leaders because we are closest to the problems, and we need people who are closer to the problems to be leaders in the solutions. What I want to do for you is what I've seen as I tried to build a business in Louisville, as I've been homeless in Louisville, as my as I've gotten my four kids to graduate through Louisville. Is there's too much red tape, and there's too much nepotism, and there's too much too many people who say all these great things in panels and forums like this, but when it comes time to make the real decisions that impact your work and your clients and everything that you're trying to do, they they forget your name, they don't take your meetings, they don't answer your calls. I'm here. The buck stops with me. And I am about change for Louisville because we need to go in a new direction. We've been doing more of the same. I'm not here to play games. I was the first to announce my intentions, none of them had to join, but they join because it's time. It's an open seat that I am overqualified for and ready because I will be the most intentional, inclusive, intergenerational leader you have. And I'm happy to be here. We get there together. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Shemiko. And now to the question phase of our forum. Questions submitted again by our CNPE members. Tim Finley Jr., you begin with the first question on public safety, and it is this. What are your specific strategies, not philosophy, to reduce the gun violence rate and its impact on Black communities in our city?
5: My specific strategies as it relates to public safety, number one, everything that undergirds what I'm gonna do really speaks to the public safety scam and how oftentimes we are throwing money at things that don't work. What I want to do is, and I was the first to bring this to the, uh, the attention of, America, of the America, the local people, um, is really bring together the universal basic income, deal with the wealth gap, deal with the um, fair free TARC, um, initiative. These are things that I want to deal with because we've got to look at root causes. I don't want to simply throw money at the police department. I want to make sure that nonprofits are fully funded. I want to make sure that nonprofits are looked at as part of infrastructure in Louisville. I believe that if our nonprofit sector has what they need to not only survive but to thrive, they're already um, offering the essential services. I want to make sure that community centers, community centers, are um, open and ready to go. As we've all talked about, the living room, bringing that back. It was shut down because of budgetary issues. I want to make sure that I'm fully investing in youth programs that are in churches, in nonprofits, and making sure, just like the church that I pastor, where we have so many kids that come through those doors that we're servicing, families that we're servicing, but we're doing so without any sort of governmental help. Um, and it's so competitive in terms of grants and things of that nature. I wanna make sure that the, the the businesses that are on the ground, the churches that are doing the work, the nonprofits that are so involved in the community are being resourced, that are uh, in, individuals that are, are giving their time and volunteering every single day. I wanna make sure that we have- We're out of time. Oh, there, I didn't see the yellow dot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're about <laughs> out of time. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you. Uh, Craig Greenberg, um, same question to you.
0: Thanks. I think making Louisville a safer city and reducing and
2: ending the senseless gun
0: violence is the number one priority as mayor for our entire community. I have a comprehensive all in plan to address our public safety crisis and make Louisville safer that has four components. The first, to stopping the violence with immediate short-term intervention, proven strategies that have worked in other cities. Next, the fully staffed and fully funded a community-oriented police force, a police department that I believe we should strive to have the best in the country, the most trained, trusted, and transparent police department in America, to build safer and community and healthy sorry, to build safer, cleaner, and healthier community spaces. And finally, the fourth prong is where I think we can work with nonprofit organizations the best to address the root causes of crime and poverty and to increase hope and opportunity for every person in. Louisville, regardless of where they live, regardless of their neighborhood, regardless of their personal and professional experiences or age, we can build on the summer works program making that year round, we can address addiction issues, mental health challenges, we can establish a volunteer corps, and build more affordable housing. These are all important solutions to address the root causes of crime, and we absolutely must do them in partnership with the great nonprofit organizations across the city that are already doing
2: this important work. Thank you, Craig. Uh, Philip Molestina, you are up next. in question?
1: The issue that I know there's a lot of things that, are, that revolve around uh, this such important topic. That's probably the number one thing that, as candidates, we've been um, talking about, people have been asking about, and I know that all the solutions I've talked about are wonderful, but as I said at the beginning of the introduction, the Biggest thing that you have to really put back together is the trust issue that you have right now. Uh, the uh, We've always seen that there's been a crisis with the, the community, not trusting the police, especially in communities that are, that are oppressed and have or issues. And then we've added to that the trust that the that the police officers have with their own uh, commanders. So we're in a very tough situation, in my opinion. So what's very important is to try to to do the first thing is, is keep the focus on that and bring, first of all, the communication. Uh, I have talked with several uh pastors especially that are in their communities the pastors uh lead houses of faith that know the people know, know what's going on in the communities and one thing that i was very surprised is the, the lack of communication that they have with the police the uh, the fact that they don't hear about it obviously until the situation goes on so it may seem like a trivial small thing but i think if, if through the precincts that we have in, in the city through the commanders that are there and there's a focus of trying to get to the to, to have this communication this, to, to bring up something specific that you can go ahead and, and talk with and inform as one pastor told me, he said, we don't know anything. We, we try to talk, sometimes we don't. And that, again, it seemed like something small, but it's a start. And then the next thing with that is is working. We're at work, time,
2: Philip. Further. Thank you very much. Sorry to cut you off. We've got a lot to get through today. Um, David Nicholson, same question to you. Thank you.
6: And I'm proud that I was the first annoying candidate when I announced for this office to lay out a public safety plan. And I did so with a five-point strategy. A safer loyal, a neighborhood-based policing model, neighborhood-based office of victim services, a civilian police commissioner, a fatality review committee, and a citizens commission on corrections accountability. As the former executive director of the criminal justice commission, it is a planning coordinating agency. I know the programs, participated in the programs across the country. As an active board member of the National Association of Counties, I review. And know exactly how public safety is being addressed in some of the largest metropolitan areas as well as some of the smallest counties throughout America. Let me just simply say, through my many years of working, particularly in criminal justice, but with the nonprofits, I've come to an understanding that when government identifies a community problem, there's usually a nonprofit already on the ground and already in the trenches working to address the problem. They typically have the answers and the solutions. So you know before the questions are asked, the nonprofit is there. So, in partnership, you, we can do it together.
2: Thank you, David. Shamika Parish right? same question to you.
7: You know, <laughs> I, hear, I hear all of this, and we have 75 seconds. I will tell you, I put my website there with changes. I was the first candidate, I had the first website up, and I talked about these issues. But let's be clear I have survived balance, I have committed balance. I have survived poverty through education, through taking action, through faith. And that is what we need moving forward. You can set up all the offices of sustainability and all these things, but if you don't fund them, if you don't, if you have a racial equity plan that you're not checking in on regularly, none of that stuff will happen. I want safe neighborhoods and accountable policing. But I also ask for mobile trauma response units that go into the, every community that we have, 24-hour community centers all over our county, because our youth don't go to bed at six o'clock just because we go to bed at six. We have to have things that really speak to the communities that we serve. And I actually lived at Hemlock and Southern, one of the worst communities where my kids felt gun violence. And so if we just talk about it, it's not gonna happen. I wanna take action, fund you, because nonprofits alleviate and they help dismantle the root causes. You, we have a lot of answers that just haven't been heard. And I'm ready to have a monthly accountability meetings to make sure we're meeting all the things that we set out to do and check in and let people know where they are in the queue for what's next. Thank you. Thank you,
2: Shamika. Bill Dereff, same question to you.
3: Thanks for the question. The one big thing that I come with at the table is I am a mayor performing everything that everybody's saying right now. I'm not studying them. I'm not waiting till later. I am doing them right now. I see the uh, leader of the BOA down there in the corner, and I've worked with Christine. We have started an angel program where those that are addicted, we have 300 locations nationwide to help you. We do this on a daily basis. So we have to stop arresting those that have addiction problems, those that have behavioral problems. We have to start helping them now, not wait till later to do a study to figure out how to do it. We are doing this in Jaytown as we speak. We have the angel program that people can come in and we have the 300 locations. We have the victims advocate now that we help those that have been gone through trauma with their spouse. We have social workers that take people, as Tim said, to seven counties now. So the, the fact that we're waiting till later is too late. The nonprofits that are on this uh, call right now, they are the ones that are performing the service. And as the mayor of Jaytown, I am working with them as we speak. But as we look toward safety, safety has, we have to have community policing. And community policing is something that I understand because we do this in Jefferson Valley. and Rick Sanders and I understand what it means to work with the people in your community on a daily basis but we also have to have intelligence-led policing but we have to have somebody that understands what intelligent-led policing means
4: all right our next question thank you Bill appreciate it our next question focuses on homelessness and affordable housing Louisville is in the throes of a homelessness crisis and needs 31,000 new units of affordable housing for people making about twenty thousand dollars a year or less What is your plan to develop more affordable housing throughout Louisville in order to reduce homelessness? We will start with Craig Greenberg for this answer, and you have
0: 75 seconds, Craig. Thanks, Rachel. Addressing the homeless, uh, sorry, addressing the homeless and affordable housing crisis is definitely one of the key priorities of mine and of our community. As you mentioned, 30,000 units short. When I announced I was running for mayor, I announced that I would build 15,000 new affordable homes across our entire city during my first term as mayor. That is a doable, important goal working with in particular the nonprofit community and other developers around the city we can do this we can do this by leveraging funds we have a once in a lifetime opportunity right now to leverage nearly 400 million dollars from the federal government under the american rescue plan to build not all of it but a significant chunk of that can should and must go towards affordable housing so that people at all income levels can have a safe secure and affordable home that is the foundation for health that is the foundation for safety that is the foundation for quality education and so affordable housing is quickly and we can't put it all in one area of the city it must be across the entire city near good paying jobs near high quality transportation routes and in particular we need to improve, improve public transportation so that people who live in affordable housing have great access to public transportation for jobs for health care for education for other things that they wanna do in their daily lives.
4: All right, Craig, thank you so much. Philip Molestino, your your answer now, 75 seconds.
1: I think the important thing, again, the, with many solutions that, that we've talked about is sometimes the plans that we have are, are wonderful, the uh, the intentions that we have and the things that we, that, like uh, Shamiko was saying, that we talk about sound wonderful in forums, but they come into reality, it's a whole different story. I think what we need to take a look at is to see who in the city that is nonprofits are doing have plans have 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 projects ready in place. And those people are the ones uh, a good starting point. As an example, St. John's Home Sh- Shelter for Men. Uh, speak, I was speaking to the director a few weeks ago, and they have a whole plan of what they want to do. They they have a whole plan of how they want to how, how they want to operate. They have a whole plan of how to where it needs to go. And here comes the second portion is the zoning. Even though you have good intentions, like Craig was saying, then we have to work str- strongly with the, with the zoning uh, departments and issues that hold things up. Because as I was speaking with uh, people this week, uh, just about the issue right there, zoning helps, holds up a lot of things. Not only not only in the homeless and the housing area, but in development, but overall, since we're talking about about this issue specifically. I would say it's looking at the people that are doing it, making sure that the city itself is not being the one that's holding things back.
4: All right, thank you so much. David Nicholson, you're next on the question of homelessness.
6: Yes, thank you. And this is clearly uh, where we can partner with our nonprofits and the private sector uh, to address, you know, because we know uh, every single day there are hundreds of our neighbors that sleep outside without shelter. Uh, it's, not, it's not only inhumane, it's, it's very dangerous. So as a community, we need to be committed to working Uh, with transitional housing, while we solve the complex issues uh, for this population. It's not going to be easy. Uh, There's a lot of complexities in each person's individual situation, but we can forge a good public-private partnership. You know, many agencies are already uh, doing the good work. Uh, It's been mentioned here. Transitional housing, better public transition, the affordable housing as we're getting ready. I know firsthand, having worked under late Dave Armstrong, putting affordable housing next to jobs at Riverport, that's a model, it was a successful model. So we need to think boldly. Let's let's think about a mobile urban rest stop. No one's ever thought about that. About a mobile urban rest stop where the individuals or families can take showers and have access to some clean restrooms, laundry facilities. Intervention mental health services. So I'll David? stop there.
4: Okay, I was going to say <laughs> thank you for stopping before I had to wrap you right there. I appreciate it. Shamika Parrish Wright, you're next.
7: All right. So, not only have I survived homelessness, I did it through a series of successful transitions through programming, through a um, homeless coalition, which of, of which I am a board member, through Wayside, through a lot of agencies and organizations that are doing good work. We have to rehab what we can. There are a lot of buildings that can be rehabbed, repurposed, affordable housing in every zip code with a pathway to home ownership, people in J-Town to Shively to Portland are in danger of being homeless due to slum laws, due to um, utility rate increases, due to fluctuating rent prices. Those people are, are, are going to be in even more trouble because if you've already been homeless, you know how to navigate. If you haven't been homeless before, it's a hell of a journey. Expand what is working, repurpose, like I said, use buildings and hotels, work with um, all the shelters, expand things like Hope Village, which is doing amazing work, um, work with direct and mutual aid, continuum of care, making appointments of people. To these zoning boards and commissions that would actually deal with it and get the things done that we need. We need a tenant union, unit community building agreement, so that people don't just build over and and, and cause more gentrification. We need um, homelessness to be addressed by every sector that it can be, and I plan to bring that. Thank you. All right, Shamika, thank you so much, Bill Deere.
3: Thank you. The first thing we need to do is empower the coalition of the nonprofit to be able to do what they need to do. That is what because homelessness, as you all realize, is not just one category. There's anywhere from the vets, to the addicted, to the people that have lost their jobs, to people that have spouse abuse, to people that have behavioral problems. So we have to let the, the, the coalition work to help the people that are homeless. The next thing we need to do is take $100 million of this art money and make a difference in this community. We have to build a attainable housing for the people so they have a place to go live and a place to gain wealth in the future. Let's build something that they own, something that they will grow in and be a better, uh, have a better wealth ability in the future of our community as we look toward homelessness let's look to how we bring them in the future to be a part of our community. As we put them around the community, we, the one thing I've seen as a mayor, sometimes we're building attainable housing in areas that do not have services. There's one out Biltown Road in Jtown that is way out Biltown Road. There's no bus service, there's no uh, grocery store, there's nothing out there for these people to be able to go to. So as we look to the future how we build, we want to make sure it's a place that people have the services they can get to and that they can gain wealth in the future.
4: All right, Bill, thank you so much. Tim Finley Jr., you're the last one to answer this question.
3: Well, um, I think as many of the questions will come,
5: you'll find out that many of us really agree with one another. A lot of the things we're going to say are going to sound very familiar, so I won't go down that road because I do believe everything that people have shared already that that is the way to go. But the thing that I am very adamant about, um, earlier today I met with the homeless coalition, my second meeting, I'm going to say to you what I said to them, that the first thing that I'm going to do day one is I'm going to reorganize uh, metro government. Specifically, I'm going to take codes and regulations that department and bring that under public safety. The reason why I'm going to do that, public safety and community health, is because so much of what we need in Louisville, we overregulate. We have absentee landlords from out of state, and somebody's got to go after them. There's there's a lot of things that we need to build. There are several things we need to just say if you if you own a property and you're out of town, you either need to fix it up or you're going to go bankrupt because my administration is going to fee you until you go bankrupt or you fix up that property. I believe that we can we can build 15,000 houses but the question is where will those houses be? We also have to understand this, Louisville is the fifth most segregated city in America. There's a reason for that, because many communities don't want affordable housing in their community. We need a mayor that's gonna stand up, he's gonna negotiate with city council and say, we cannot allow racism to continue to keep us segregated. This is not just a question of business plan of building houses, but we have a much bigger issue. We just saw a news report. gotta wrap
4: uh, you up here, Tim.
5: Council, Councilman P. Argentini, who didn't want it in his district. We've got to go after that. We've got to make sure people have housing everywhere. Sorry. <laughs>
4: (laughs) Thank you, Tim. Don't make me come after you, Tim. All
2: right. Thank you, Tim. Um, Now, our next question, um, and Philip Molestino will start us off here. Um, Following the murders of Breonna Taylor and David McAtee, Black leaders and others came together to develop a collective response and create a path forward for Louisville. The path forward lays out a holistic approach to what Black communities need for systemic restructuring. How do you plan to incorporate these multidimensional strategies into your administration? Philip, uh, 75 seconds.
1: I think I think uh, Pastor T- Finley was right on the dot with, with what we're really, really, at. I think that uh, what is what we fail to see is just how the uh, issue of racism is still very, very permeated in our, in, in our city. And what we need to do is, again, is we have all these different things that we want to try to do and plans, which are which are fine. But the the issue of, of what's happening with with uh, you know the, the population and the, the way things are, are going on is where the, the problems come from. You know, the institutions that are that are supposed to ha- handle those issues are not uh, worthy to be at. Uh, I think it's being transparent with. How the people that we're saying that's in charge of taking care of these different things that we're putting in place—I uh, I, I think that's the part where, where it has to be some tough decisions made. I think a lot of the times, I think Shema, uh, Shamika Parish just mentioned a while ago, a lot of these things that have just been there for a long time of uh, p- having people and organizations and, and just having things done the way that's done. I think that's where the, the issue has a lot of a lot of things has has uh, has be a change to, change has to happen, mm-hmm. but it comes from confronting things that have been established. And that's gonna take a, a very different perspective than what's been going on in this this past uh, times of administration we had in the city. Thank you, Philip. David Nicholson.
6: Thank you. Yes, no question that racism is alive. You know, I will tell you that one of my first goals once I was elected circuit court clerk was to ensure that our staff was diversified uh, with over 300 plus employees. I created an action plan and executed that plan. We held ourselves accountable to that action plan. And because of that, I've always said and believe strongly is what gets measured is what gets done. So I'm proud to say today that our office, uh, including the management team, is one of the most diverse government offices in the state. You have to have an action plan in place that reflects this commitment and outcomes should be measured. So any plan for inclusion diversity uh, has to include uh, every uh, staff member, board members vendors. It's about transparency and accountability. That's how you address it is, is. being transparent and accountable to each and every
2: citizen. Thank you. Thank you, David. Shamika Parish. Right.
7: I will be the most intentional, intercultural, intersectional, intergenerational mayor that we can be because I've seen what happens when we're not. Our rules will be to be sustainable and successful. And Black people are not asking for revenge. And I can't speak for every Black person, but they're not asking for revenge. We're asking for accountability. We're asking for fairness. We're asking for equal equal opportunity and to be sustainable and successful we got a lot of things to dismantle and deal with in global, and I'm willing to deal with that but one of the biggest things we have is what I call the VGGs we have games we have gaps in services and we have gatekeepers who stand in the way from the diversity that we're all talking about it, it all sounds good here but what plays out is who you know what your name is who your family is and if you're connected to certain people is how you get things done that has to be broken up I'm trying to clean the cleanest slate that we have moving forward, and the way that you do that is making sure you're bringing And everybody to the table nobody black or other is asking to be treated special we're asking to be included and we have to break up some of the things that we've repeated over and over again if you don't have a deleter that's willing to do that down and from the bottom up we're not going to see the changes that we want and that's, I'll end with that. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Shemeika. Bill the First thing we have to do is admit that the Black community has been very, very underserved. And in order to move it the needle forward, we have to be able to be equitable when we start serving for the future. The one thing we've done in Jefferson Town, I've done as mayor, is the first thing you have to look is inward. As inward, we took, and we started a DEI and i group. I didn't start it from management or myself. I didn't tell them what to do. I started, had the employees or the ones that looked at our inward, what our HR book, how we did applications, and they looked at what the inward part of the city needed to change to make sure we were more equitable for all all people. And with that came, we rewrote our whole HR book to make sure there was nothing in there that said we are not welcoming all races and everybody to come to J-Town. We started blind applications. We started many things in our town just to make sure that we were the one that was where the people want to come to work. But the next thing we have to do when we start talking about homelessness, we have to give the ability for the Black community to gain wealth. And when we start talking about gaining wealth, we start home ownership and the home ownership is where they move their wealth forward so that they can become the same as everybody is on the rest of the community. So I look forward to moving the needle, to being able to do what needs to be done because these this group has been underserved and they need to be lifted up and helped. And we need to do, the question needs to come to where they give us the answer. We quit telling the, uh, different groups what they need. Let's ask them what they need. Thank you,
2: Bill. Tim Finley Jr. Well,
5: just
3: to recenter us, the question, original question was about the path forward. The path
5: forward, myself, along with Shamika Paris Wright, we were on the call, we are original signers. It was our brains that were picked to put that path document together. So what will I do? I've already done. We've given you the path forward. What we don't need to do is try to speculate on what we will do further and not address what's already on the books. And I'll end it by saying this, the person that spearheaded that, Sadeepo Reynolds, endorsed me.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Tim
5: i think the path forward is a very
0: important document one that has a lot of great concepts for again it's it's one of those places where there are the solutions that we need to enact now it's an opportunity to unify the city there were people across the entire city that signed it tim mentioned he was one of them there were people from across the community that did that and it's a we have this once in a lifetime opportunity now to implement these solutions let's start with education let's make universal pre-k a reality in louisville let's improve workforce training and give people new new um opportunities to learn new skills so that they can have good career path jobs regardless of where they live and let's invest in our hbcu simmons college as i've said to dr cosby let's make west louisville a college town a simmons college town there's a great opportunity to do that right now in terms of housing i support the property tax freeze that's been implemented last year by the state legislature so that homeowners in west louisville will not pay more property taxes with infrastructure to support the louisville community grocery in public safety to have a police force to reflect the community that it serves and we need more black led institution our, our city needs to when we are investing this federal money we need to invest it in small businesses in black owned businesses we need to support the development of more black led foundations and black led banks as mayor i'll work with people across the community to make this happen thank
4: you all right our next question deals with food and food security how would you leverage direct spending economic development and the expertise and community trust of the nonprofits that have been doing this work for years to enjoy- that West End residents have easy access to healthy foods. David Nicholson, we'll start with you.
6: Thank you. That is uh, by far one of the highest uh, priorities that has to be addressed. And again, it will take both the public and private partnership uh, to work with national chains as well as local chains to ensure that they bring their stores to all segments of our community, but particularly that underserved, to think that we allowed a national chain to close their store on 2nd on Street, right where 11 senior citizen complexes in, in housing units, that should have never occurred. There are incentives, there are ensuring the public safety of these stores, that there, there will be timely uh, response have called upon for public safety but again as we do our bus routes as we look at putting some destination opportunities uh, particularly in, in the western part of the community that those opportunities do have and are not food deserts but have the same access to the food fast food opportunities that Every zip code throughout our community enjoys. So again, right. it's it's about incentives and partnerships, and again, that's where the nonprofits and the public have to come together. All right, David, thank you so much, Shamika Parish. Right.
7: All right, ready and off mute. So I lived in the West End. I lived in the food deserts. I also understand that price choice is about to ch- about the close. What I've been saying even to candidates: we have millions of dollars coming through for these political campaigns. Stop spending them on TV and use that money to help these organizations and these businesses and these grocery stores to survive. It takes a restaurant about five years before they start seeing a real profit if we open up something and we don't support it then it won't get the it won't survive why is value market in the highlands doing so well and why are other grocery stores closing just as was explained because they don't get the support i make sure that i spend my dollars in the communities that i'm not just talking about i make sure that i'm intentional to make sure that everybody that i work with whether it's my business or a campaign is doing the same we are not spreading out the resources and the gatekeepers are a part of that if we're not connected to Norton. or or one of the big families you don't get the support that you're supposed to have and that is the problem we are drying out the communities and then pointing at them and asking them why are they violent they're violent because they've been gutted from resources so if you're living in a place you have that but to answer the mayor technical part i will have a food justice department directly to focus on making sure that we're meeting those needs we they will be a part of those monthly accountability meetings so that we make sure that what's working will support what isn't working we will get rid of thank you thank you Shamika. appreciate it bill dira
3: the, the one thing we have to look at is when we start talking about bringing a retail store to an area, we have to realize that it's a business that somebody else is trying to make a profit. When you start doing that, you look into what, how do we get them to come, how do we get them to be a part of the community. It's called PPP, partnership with the the public entity with the government entity. We put the two together. One way would be the, the government actually buys the building, supplies the building, and that way they don't have that uh that that to to undo to pay for also they don't have to pay for the insurance on the building they don't have to build a building so that the government can have the building own the building and provide the service that they can come in and bring the grocery store in through the partnership they don't have to have the return on investment they have every place else the other thing we look at is how do we do with zoom right now how do we do digital connection for all the people in the neighborhoods that need to be served so they can order online and be delivered to their house We have to be, we do that in other neighborhoods around the county. Why can't we do that in the underserved neighborhoods? And the first thing we have to do is with the Bingham Fellows that I was involved in, we had the digital connection. So we are involved in bringing the digital connections for those that are underserved and have the the computers that they need to order the product by and have the delivery to the house of what they need. That way we don't need the building, but we can actually get the service to the people as they need to be provided.
4: All right. Thank you very much. Tim Finley Jr.
3: The city. Uh, this administration has not been
5: transparent. Um, It's not been open and honest. Uh, There have been several announcements regarding the uh, grocery store coming to the West End. I've talked with Butch Mosby, um, who came in second place, so to speak, for um, the funding for the allocations for that. Um, I read the emails that the city sent to him. They have not been honest. It has not been integrity in any way, shape or form. What we have to do is get out of the way. There are so many initiatives, that are started that have the infrastructure, uh, that may have the idea, and the city gets on TV, the administration, this administration gets on television, it says one thing and does something else. I believe that if we're going to see food justice, if we're going to see a grocery store in the West End, we do not depend on big chains to come into the West End. There are individuals right now that have a plan to bring fresh food to the West End and other areas. We have to be honest. We have to be honest about what we're allowing to come into the city, what we don't want to come into certain neighborhoods. It is not all about community support in terms of a community can't keep a grocery store open. If the city wants to see a grocery store fresh food, in the West End of Louisville, it can happen. We just have to have the political will to do it.
4: All right, Tim Finley, thank you so much. Craig Greenberg.
0: This is one of those classic problems in Louisville where we have been talking about the same thing for 10, 20, 30 years and nothing has happened. We don't need just one new grocery store in West Louisville. Every neighborhood, all nine uh, neighborhoods in West Louisville should have a local grocery store or even more than one. And it's not just West Louisville, but other low income communities, other food deserts. This is low hanging fruit. This is high return on investment type of investments. The Louisville community grocery of which I'm a big supporter and I've helped them privately with, with many things as they built their business plan as they got three and a half million dollars allocated from the city only to see it yanked away we should be funding that organization to do not just one but more we should be forward um, supporting the local uh, grocery store that Tim just mentioned that bus Monbi owns we should be doing all of them because there's need for more than just one this is a great opportunity to invest in local businesses to provide people with affordable fresh healthy food. If we're going to make Louisville a healthy city, we need to have accessibility to more community grocery stores that are local businesses. And I will make this happen as mayor, working with the great organizations like Louisville Community Grocery that are already functioning in
1: Louisville.
4: All right, our final person to answer this question, Philip Molestina.
1: About 10 years ago, when I was working in the community uh, serving in in this specific issue, I was surprised about the the few organizations that are actually going into these areas and bringing fresh food, bringing the the product that that, uh, this understood communities needed the reason it stopped was because of funding is what we is what, what this whole forum is about uh, getting the people trained that was doing that. I, I'm not saying that the ideas that have been talked about should be done, but I'm not going to wait till somebody like Tim was saying, uh, goes through all these different, you know, loops there to try to get things done. The need is there right now. So as someone else said just a while ago, that money is not being used effectively. And sometimes with the city, how it has to be and through again, through the, the what's in those neighborhoods, the churches, the community organizations, I mean, I would create a, 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 this, these programs that I already. See seen working, you know, feed Louisville and try to get at least the basic products in there. The reality is, is that businesses do they have their way of doing things. They do have a bottom line. I mean, we've seen a Walmart just close, close be closing out in Cameron road area. So at the end of the day, the, the companies, they they they're led by people that have to also meet some goals there. So we're talking about a unique situation. I think that the things we talked about are, are correct there but I think we need to have the focus on just getting the problem resolved quickly.
2: Thank you. This question focuses on mental health and just a quick reminder, 75 seconds uh, per answer. How will your administration address the growing need for accessible, affordable mental health services in our community. We will start with you, Shamika Parish wright
7: Thank you. We have an abundance of service providers who need different levels of support to be successful. Some need access to be able to receive the medical um, benefits that um, clients have or potential clients may have. Some need to be connected to the bigger entities that can outsource work to them. I want to support those who are already providing services, especially those who provide services to black and minority clients my own daughters who are all in their 20s tell me they want to see a mental health um, provider that looks like them and that it's harder to access I think that as Metro government we should have a department that helps make sure that we're connecting and we're doing warm handoffs we have a a, a great deal of nonprofit organizations and medical providers who just are not getting those contracts I want to make sure that we're doing that and making sure that they're meeting all the needs that they can and that every community knows the number to call there was a gentleman that said 311, one call to city hall, we need that. When I talk about dealing with the red tape, it's also about our mental health services and access to it. And the big elephant in the room is we have a transportation issue across our city, across our county. But pan- the pa- pand- pandemic showed us that we can use telehealth and other services, we just need to diversify. Thank you.
3: Chair. Bill Deavis. Deer- Was it great? This is a great question for this group right here because you all provide the services that was needed. That you just asked the question for. So the best thing to do is to this coalition should be joining together to make sure we get enough help for everybody. Because there's not just one type of behavioral health. There's not just one type of nonprofit. So with everybody on this call, all the different nonprofits that are out in our community, if they join forces, then we have the ability to get the numbers and help give the help to the people that need the help. So I would say the best thing we can do is Center for Nonprofit Excellence can organize these groups which they do help train the groups which they do to provide what needs to be done because the people that are part of this group right now are the people that are the best professionals that can provide the services and get metro out of the way let you all do what you all do best and get government out of the way for the future
5: thank you bill tim finley jr yeah i mean again i think it's important that we ensure that everyone in the community has access to a well-trained certified mental health professional the way that that happens is that we've got to stop funneling resources uh to the big name Um, Brands and organizations. We have so many so many mental health providers on the ground doing work. Um, I work with many of them. I have them on my team. I have them in my church. We've got to make sure that they are uh, receiving the kind of help receiving the kind of resources to expand their reach into the community one of the things that i appreciate about the governor he said he's making a commitment to ensure that every black person in kentucky has health insurance but insurance must be adequate we have to make sure that those barriers are removed i agree with Shamika completely public transportation has to be a part of um this particular Uh, equation, has to be a part of this conversation. And we have to make sure that mental health professionals are culturally competent, because if you have a mental health professional that is not culturally competent, people will go there and then they won't come back because they feel like they're not making inroads and connections. So it's not enough just to have a bunch of mental health professionals. I used to sit on the board for Seven Counties. We have to make sure that they're culturally competent and the government, the local administration, has to have inroads with this particular community, wherever we may go.
2: Thank you, Tim.
5: When we talk about having a safer,
0: stronger, and healthier Louisville, providing better mental health resources is an absolutely critical component of a healthier Louisville. And as others have said tonight, working with nonprofit organizations is the way to do this. So whether it's working with larger organizations like seven counties or smaller ones that have been mentioned, that is absolutely critical. Better mental health resources for people across the entire city is a key part of our public safety solution. We need to be providing more mental health resources to people before they might commit a crime. And then for those who may have committed a crime, we need as a city to better provide mental resources, mental health resources to people who are in jail. But let's use mental health resources and mental health professionals to help prevent crime. Programs like bringing back the living room and funding that or other programs that can provide mental health treatment for those who are in need are a big part of the solution. Also, addressing the homeless challenges that in our community that we talked about before. Many homeless individuals are struggling with addiction and, and or, often and, mental health treatment. We need to continue to support the nonprofit organizations that provide those services. We can use federal dollars to do that. We don't even need more city dollars to do that. And this is a unique opportunity where we can leverage federal, local, and state dollars to provide the needed resources. Thank you, Craig.
1: Philip Molestina. Again, this is one of those issues we've talked about so much, and a lot of things have so much in common. One thing that that we, what I did know, that did learn as we've gone through this process many times is there are a number of providers. Uh, speaking with the leader of seven the uh, seven counties in the area, she was talking about over twenty six different locations. But as Shamika was saying, and I agree completely, is transportation. We're talking about doing, you know, kind of talked about doing free talk routes, for example, how about having dedicated routes to places like this, you know, could get into mental health places, you know, not just a, a few hours, but something consistent. Uh, and I think where the city needs to come into this whole thing here is, is getting into this campaign of awareness, because a lot of times when you talk to people that are mental health professionals, they'll tell you that what's the biggest issue they have is that people are just not wanting to access services, or when they do it's it's a, it's a really late time. So those those two things are crucial right there. And then also keeping in mind whatever has has to happen in our state, so that the providers, uh, people that are trained in this year, uh, can, can be, you know, trained quicker and, and and not not have to be held back on some of the regulations that sometimes holds back people from getting trained to be mental health professionals. Thank you, Philip. David Nicholson.
6: Well, I would hate to think what our community would look like today without the work of our nonprofits. And I do speak every day, uh, particularly in this area of mental health, uh, there's the quality and the services that they're able to provide, uh, given their capacity. But it's time to think bold, and I said this on a previous mental health forum, is addressing the insurance. We need to look. Well, we have a commitment that every individual may have insurance. The health insurance side of the equation changes each and every year. You look at the mental health policies, they haven't changed in over decades. Let's be bold. Let's look at why we have telemed. And that's great. But why are we not having like our little clinics right there next to little clinics, some mental health? Not everybody needs to talk to a psychiatrist. So, but you know, individuals just to go in, particularly as we come out of this pandemic, as we have a hybrid of going back to work, not going back to work, there's gonna be a greater need than we've experienced to date. But we're gonna take bold action. I've been a proponent, we're on mass transit, we're woefully behind. Absolutely, we need better access on public transportation to get the individuals to the services that again, thank you nonprofits because without you, we'd have a much, much worse problem to have addressed. That's
4: the perfect segue to our next question about nonprofits. Uh, another question we have, the nonprofit sector is the third largest employer in Kentucky. How does the nonprofit sector fit into your administration's economic development plans? And would you consider creating a cabinet-level position to partner with CNPE and the nonprofit sector to ensure its continued financial growth and, of course, expansion of vital services? And, Bill Deeref, we'll start with you on that one.
3: The thing I found by talking to the- different nonprofits is the biggest problem we have is Metro tries to do what you all do best. So when we look at the funding, what we have in Metro government, that we're trying to do things that the nonprofits do all the way around the spectrum, we need to take that money and give it to the nonprofits because they're in the community. They are boots on the ground. They understand what needs to be done in the future of helping our, our citizens and helping our youth in this community. So I would say what I would do is several things. One, look at the what. how do we get the funds to the nonprofits the fastest? Because the other thing I heard that we have in Metro, that we have a problem is, yes, we will give you money, but it takes six months for a nonprofit to get the money. That's ludicrous. As a person that had a hardware store that it provided the wow and customer service, and you have a, a person that may have been around for years, they may be able to survive. But the small nonprofits, they can't survive if they have to wait six months for Metro to give them the money. So I would say we we support the nonprofits because they do it best. We make sure they have the funds in expediency manner.
4: All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. uh Tim Finley Jr.
3: All right. Well, again, as a current
5: nonprofit president, one that has again started my. Nonprofit in 2009. But I can tell you what I've run into um, is that there is so much red tape when you talk about reimbursement, you know, in terms of grants. When you talk about um, one of the things that Louisville's MO, that I believe the MO has been, is to engage with nonprofits, learn what they're doing, and then offer competing services. That's something that we have to stop. Um, I would absolutely 100% Agree in having someone in my administration, a department to work with not only the Center for Nonprofit Excellence, but other nonprofit leaders, because again, nonprofits are dependent upon uh, The public sector for funding. The government is dependent on nonprofit sector to provide services to its constituents. So again, I said this earlier nonprofits really should be looked at as infrastructure because they're doing the work. They're making sure um, from a ground level, that things in the city, many of the services are happening. So, in my administration, the nonprofit sector will be included in an infrastructure budget and we will work directly with you. Why? Because I started a nonprofit, I know what it takes, I'm dealing with it right now. And no matter ha- what happens with this race, I'll still be a nonprofit uh, president. So I know exactly what's going on. We've got to get out of the way.
4: All right, Tim, thank you so much. For
5: I'm really glad you
0: asked this question because one of the things I'm excited for as mayor is to start a new office in city government, an office of national philanthropy. Because as we've been talking about all night, we have big challenges in this city. But we also know that there are proven solutions to make these challenges go away and make Louisville a safer city a more just city, a more vibrant city. And so while we already have great foundations across the city with hundreds of millions of dollars of assets, there across the country and world, there are foundations with hundreds of billions of dollars of assets. And so as mayor, I want to start an Office of National Philanthropy to have a coordinated effort with local nonprofits, with the private sector, and with city government leadership to collect, to reach out, to solicit even more funds invest in local nonprofit organizations to implement some of our biggest solutions starting with universal pre-k this is a way that we will fund universal pre-k early on in my administration and we'll we'll do this for other Big projects as well that will make a meaningful positive difference in the future. All
4: right, Craig, thank you so much. So, David Nicholson, you're next.
6: Thank you. I simply say, a mayor who does not completely understand the value and the role of nonprofits in our community oftentimes becomes a you know a talker, not a listener. A mayor with nonprofit experience who understands the role and the value of nonprofits and has participated in the nonprofit community often is a good listener. You know, nonprofits are a very valuable player in our local and state economy. Again, the economic and if my memory serves me correctly, uh, the economic impact is that every dollar spent through a nonprofit uh, is about two and a half times. The money begins to turn over and over. Uh, the local economy, far-reaching benefits, several factors involved, you know, the jobs that nonprofits create, good services that nonprofits consume, employee payroll taxes, construction projects, employee spending, and certainly employee property taxes. These are critical. Uh, so I would say that absolutely they will have a seat in my administration. Uh, we we are badly needed, especially to raise up the younger, smaller nonprofits. And I'm proud of my work on the cosair Charities Board to develop the cosair Charities Leadership Development Institute at Spalding University to lift up all nonprofits, but particularly the younger, smaller nonprofits. Thank right, you, and I will be transitioning.
4: All right, thank you so much, I appreciate it. And Shamika, Pierce Wright, last one to finish this up, thank you.
7: All right, um, the short answer is yes. I come from nonprofit excellence, I support it. It's been a sector that is important to me. And to be honest with you, there's a couple of pin rolling Metro government positions where people have been grandfathered in that I wanna get rid of. I wanna get rid of those positions that aren't doing anything. Anyone that can't tell me how they're making a direct impact with our city has to go. And there is room and yes, CMPE will have not just one, but a couple of opportunities to sit and on boards to be appointed to be, I, I don't see doing anything that we talk about without you. What makes us successful is our cities and towns connected, working, listening, and playing together, building on our economic strengths, encouraging and supporting affordable housing. All the things that we've talked about cannot happen without nonprofits. And so I will be a champion. I've already been a champion managing millions of dollars to improve the lives of Villians, to get Louisvillians out of jail, doing this work for years. Every job I had has been with a nonprofit. You have a leader and a champion and a listening voice with me and you will definitely be at the table. All
4: right. Thank you, Shamika.
2: Now we are on to our final question of the evening. We're going to start with uh, Bill Deere with this one. With immigration continuing to drive population growth in Louisville, how will you continue spaces where immigrant and refugee communities can meet and share concerns, challenges, and participate in the city's growth?
3: The first thing we have to do is reach out to the uh, different, like the Cuban organization, the Hispanic organizations, and all the different groups to areas that we don't know now. So like right now when the Cuban organization, and Bill would say the same thing, Berta, who is a friend of his, uh, is very much involved with us on how do we get the, the Cuban organization to translate what we put out for one. To to a different language so they can understand it, but two, to get them to come to work for the different organizations that are around different businesses around town. So as we look to the future, how do we look, how do we help those that don't know where to go and how to go? We look for the leaders of each organization to help us lead where we need to be. I look at what the, uh, the black uh, organizations that are around town, when we start asking to do minority construction, many times we don't know where the list is to even put out. What we've done in J-Town, we've increased the requirement in order to have a builder come to our town. We've increased the participation in order to start letting those people gain wealth. And I keep saying that, but that's a key thing we have to do. We have to be able to reach out to somebody like Carl Brasley who has an organization that helps the the black community bid. It's one thing to say, yes, we know a company that is has the ability to do it. The next thing is, Carl Braisley is one that reaches out and shows them how to bid and how to work through the whole process. As was mentioned, there's a bureaucracy. We need to get over the bureaucracy and move forward.
5: Thanks, Bill. Tim Finley Jr. I just want to say to that too, um, many of the black organizations and black contractors know how to bid um, along with those in our immigrant communities. Uh, They just need a seat at the table. They know exactly what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and where to show up. Uh, But too many times, those who control that narrative um, close that door. So I just want to make sure I add in that uh, it may not be more training, it may be access. Um, With my administration, um, I'll have the most diverse administration, and I will make sure that those who are at the table, they're working with an equity lens. Um, And they will make sure that what we're doing as an administration is meeting exactly what we said during the campaign trail. We have brilliant people from every community in our city. They don't need just more training. They need access. They need the door to be open. They need a seat at the table and they don't need someone to handhold. We need to make sure that we're not purposely making things more difficult. As a former employee of this administration, the way that people access, whether it's the website or anything else, it is almost purposely hard. We've got to break down and make sure that what we're doing, how we're presenting ourselves, is equitable. Um, and it's making sure we have to make sure that people have access to all the wonderful things that we can do in the city. So I'll just I'll stop that right there. Mr. Dura threw me off. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but he knows I love him. He knows I love him. So he messed my answer. But it was probably on purpose. <laughs> Thank you, Tim uh,
2: Craig Reamer.
0: As the grandson of immigrants, the grandson of two grandparents who fled the hate of Nazi Germany before the Holocaust, new Americans the issue and the importance of immigrants in our community is one that is really near and dear to my heart for not just me, but also for my wife. Uh, Rachel is a former English as a second language teacher at Wheatley Elementary School, a public school in the California neighborhood. She's a former chair of the Mosaic Awards with Jewish Family and Career Services and has been very involved in the new American community throughout Louisville, as has our entire family. A strong, vibrant and growing city is a city that has a strong, vibrant and growing new American and immigrant population. They go hand in hand. We as a city government should be working with our new Americans, with our immigrant community to give them the needs that they want, um, office for globalization or whatever it's called that supports this community to ensure that we it just provides such great cultural diversity. To our city and so i will be a big proponent of supporting new americans in global
2: thank you craig uh, i understand philip is back with us philip molestina
1: i think that the biggest thing here is is the potential that we don't realize that our city has uh, i've been working in the immigrant community for the last 20 years and you'd be surprised when we have schools like Rutherford elementary that has over 35 40 uh different countries represented but not even countries there's over 100 people groups that are in louisville so there's a lot of a lot of things that are going on So what we need to take a look at
0: is is who's doing the work. Kentucky Refugees are doing outstanding work here in the city, so the city needs to uh, work with them, learn more about that, uh, understand the needs. Every different people group is different. Uh, That's where education comes into place, uh, so that the services the city has, the different things that are going on, can actually be leveraged in a better way, and looking for ways as uh, as, uh, as mayor to bring these people together with different groups uh, through business expos to different things, not only festival, the typical things, but something that they actually can put their hands on to and learn and actually get together and connect. Those are the type of things that that
2: community needs uh, at this moment. Thank you. Thank, thank you.
6: So David Nicholson. Yes, thank you. One of my very first jobs out of law school was working at Americano Apartments and being involved with our Catholic Charities community. Again, an excellent nonprofit. Uh, And as the elected circuit court clerk for the last 16 years, I have worked in ensuring that up until January of this year, I was responsible for issuing and processing the driver's license and ID cards, that the written test and the test for driver's license had the necessary languages as we welcome so many into our community, the international community. I believe that we are well-placed and have been well-placed to receive uh, residents from all around the world. And I will continue to strengthen and build that uh, cabinet position that Metro government has had to ensure that the services and the opportunities are available uh, to those constituents uh, as as well as all residents. But I have that experience and, and have met many times over with the different international communities throughout
2: Louisville, Metro. Thank you. Thank
7: you, David. Should be to right. I'll keep it short and simple. I love our international immigrant community. I was on the Hispanic Latino Coalition Board. I'm currently on the La Casita La Center Board. Everything that I do has been about bridging the brown and black divide. But also, as I am a transplant to Louisville and many every other person you meet comes from another place, it's been important for me to make sure everyone feels welcome. I will make sure I already have the most diverse campaign team with people with English as a second language a part of my team and helping to advise me. But I will make sure my transition team my accountability team will have immigrant and international people improve our translation services we don't have enough of those and i see it in the court system and i see it as they gain access removing that red tape meaning making it easier for them to get business dollars to buy to get home ownership all of those things are important we are a city that's changing colors and i'm going to be a leader that embraces that and has action steps to fulfill it thank you
0: And that is how the mayoral forum focused on the nonprofit sector wrapped up on March 29th, put on by the Center for Nonprofit Excellence and brought to you here on the Access Hour by me, Justin Mogg. Please don't forget to vote in the primary election coming up on Tuesday, May 17th. And that's it for us here on the Access Hour. See you next week.